You're listening to the Writers at Warwick podcast. Jim Crace is a writer admired for flair, conviction and intensity. Attracting both critical acclaim and a large popular following, Jim has been described as one of the most significant English writers of the last 10 years. His latest book, The Pest House, was published earlier this year. In this Highlights podcast, recorded as part of the Writers at Warwick series at Warwick Arts Centre, Jim discusses his current work in progress, his approach to writing, the role of literature and the problems of the past tense. I've always pretended in the past that I'm not an autobiographical writer, and, and, and broadly it's true. But actually we're all, to some extent, you know, uh, autobiographical. Um, uh, you might not be able to tell from my books much about my private life or my sexual predilections or, or, or you know, m- much in detail. But you can tell a lot about me generally from my books. You can tell that I'm on the left, that I'm kind of, um, in, a, in, a, in a boyishly, childish way, hostile towards um, uh, trading, the, the trading world, that, that I'm very fond of walking, that I know a lot about natural history. So all of those things are kind of there. So to some extent, I have revealed myself through my books, but I've not been my subject matter before. And the reason for that is, is a simple one, is that if I were to go along to my publisher and say I'm going to write an autobiographical novel, and they say, well, what's the plot? The yeah. plot for this book would be a happy childhood, uh, married for 30-odd years, n- no affairs. I mean, I'm so dull. And they would be begging me not to write this thing because literature loves... Literature doesn't love long marriages, it loves divorce. Yeah. Literature doesn't l- like happy childhoods, it likes, it likes beatings. It doesn't like good health, it likes bad health. And therefore, you know, m- I am not a good subject matter for an autobiographical book. So I've avoided it in the past, and the advantage of avoiding it is that, that it's liberating. Because unlike most autobiographical writers, when I leave my office at night, I leave my subject matter behind. But an autobiographical writer is living their subject the whole while. They take the dog for a walk, their subject matter is them. So I've enjoyed the freedom of not writing about myself. I mean, I'm actually personally a very, very uh, secretive... I'm, I'm a secretive person. And, um, and I, would, I would not be at ease writing really revelatory um, prose. <laughs> I, I was a journalist, and I published a few, few short stories. And uh, one of them was a short story called Annie California Plates. It had done really well. It had been anthologized all over the place, and it, got, got, it had got a lot of attention. And so I was inundated. It was a dream. You know, it happens, doesn't happen enough to people. I got phone calls off agents. I got phone calls off, off publishers. I hadn't written any, hardly any fiction. I'd only written about 6,000 words in my, in my life. But they were offering me money, and they were offering me contracts. So not being stupid, I took a contract for a novel, and uh, really had no novel to write. And I was making a good living being a journalist, and I like being a journalist. Um, but there came a point where the money had run out and the phone calls, uh, desperate phone calls were saying, where's the book, increased. So I tried to write a realist novel. And I knew that this wasn't working for me, and that it was probable that I would never write a book successfully, and I'd have to give the money back. And then one day I was given the job of reviewing for the TLS, was it, or for the Sunday Times, I can't remember. But anyway, a a new novel by Gabriel García Márquez, Nobel Prize winner, you know, top-notch, world-class author. A book of his called In Evil Hour. And as a part of writing that um, review, um, I read several of his previous works, including A Thousand Days of of Solitude, is it? 
100 days. 100 years, 100 yeah, years yeah, thank you, well done. Yeah. Um, uh, 100 years of solitude. And, I, and rather than being bowled over by it, I thought, I can do that. <laughs> it had never occurred to me before that, that fiction could just be making stuff up. Mm. I had a very puritanical view of fiction in the same way as I had a, a very puritanical view of, of, uh, of um, uh, politics. I thought it had, and, uh, and, and of course as a journalist, I felt that whatever you said had to exactly locate in the real world. So if mm. someone read your book, they had to say, yes, I've been to that place, it smells like that, it tastes like that, it sounds like that. Yep, yep. But with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and I also read Rasselas by Johnson at the same yeah. time, they just made stuff up. I thought, this is the answer to my problem. I would just try it out, just making stuff up. And suddenly, the book that wasn't proceeding was proceeding massively quickly. I said earlier, I couldn't see the next sentence. I could, didn't know what the next paragraph was. As soon as I started writing a kind of um, fabulous uh, metafiction, I knew what the next five books were. And that's been just a piece of luck. I recognised that this was something that I could do. Literature isn't supposed to be um, a description of what might happen. You know, my book about post-apocalyptic America isn't saying this is a likely scenario, that it could happen this way, America could be wiped out by contagion or whatever it is and we could end up with this metal-hating society. That's not what it's trying to say. Yeah. That's not what it's doing. What, what books do is to, um, uh, works of fiction do, is to, um, is to play out something which puts the current day under a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. I mean, that's what narrative is there for. Mm. Uh, narrative hasn't survived for thousands and thousands of years without a good Darwinist reason. And the Darwinist reason is that it confers upon us all sorts of advantages, would have died out otherwise, and those advantages are obvious. It, and they, the narrative allows us to think out and imagine and play out the battle before it's fought, to have the argument before it's engaged, to imagine how we would behave if a certain set of scenarios were to occur. It's, it's a great advantage, narrative is a great advantage, to prepare us for the next thing in our lives by imagining something which perhaps is much worse. So, so that's, uh, in, in the case of the Pest House, that's what I was doing. I was... Um, I was uh, uh, looking at modern America through the, um, through the eyeglass of, of an exaggerated future, but not a, an, not a future which I genuinely believe will, will come about. So I was starting to write a book which I called Heroes, and it has been going very badly. I've been trying to work out why it is that the book is, feels like pushing a boulder up a hill. My previous ten books felt like pushing, pushing balloons up a hill. They felt weightless. Suddenly, I've started to believe in the book. And the reason I've started to believe in the book is that I heard something on the radio on Monday which provided me with a kind of a technical solution. The book, as it stood um, up until this Monday, seemed to have lack focus. It seemed to lack drive. There was something indefinable about it that I couldn't work out, but it wasn't sitting right correctly on the page. And then on Monday, this Monday, listening to Start the Week, I heard the American philosopher and uh, linguist um, Stephen Pinker talking about tenses, the difference between 
the present tense and the past tense, which, of course, if you're a writer, is an immensely important decision to make. It's the most important decision in a way. It doesn't sound very sexy to say, well, the most important decision you can make when you're writing a book is what tense you tell it in, or do you tell it in the first person or the third person? But actually, it's so important because it's like a, a filmmaker deciding where to put their camera. Because where you put the camera decides whether it's a close-up or whether it's a, um, a, a long shot or whether it's a shot from above. And, and these are important decisions. Pinker said something immensely interesting. He said... The trouble with the past tense, the past tense, is that it's a very, very baggy tense. It can stand for so much. And he gave an example of what he meant. He gave the example of the joke about Groucho Marx. Groucho Marx comes out of a, a party, a dinner party, and the hostess says to him, did you have a good time? And he said, yes, but this wasn't it. <laughs> And it's a wonderful response um, uh, as an example of how baggy the past tense can be. Because gives, did you have a good time in the way it was asked? Um, the past tense being described there was very immediate and very close. It was that evening. But when he replies and says, yes, but this wasn't it, the good time that he's referring to can be a good time that he might have had, he was in his 70s by this time, I believe, in the last 70 years. So already the past tense floods backwards another 70 years. And then when you hear something as simple as the phrase, um, uh, uh, the weather was wet, what well, the weather was wet when I came into this building, the weather was wet when the Romans landed in England, the weather was wet in the Falklands, um, you know, it's, it's a very, very baggy tense. Something in my head dissolved. I thought, this is it. I'm writing the book in a baggy tense. What I want to find out is what it will look like if I just turn this book as it stands into the present tense. So this morning, because I've been busy up till now, this morning I got up and I did that kind of mindless activity which was to take the first chapter of the novel and to turn it into the present tense. This podcast was recorded at Warwick Arts Centre, part of the University of Warwick. For more information about the Writers at Warwick programme, including future speakers and events, please visit www.warwickartscentre.co.uk. The Writers at Warwick podcast was produced by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Dylan Owen. Thank you.